Welcome back to Elephant Parade Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Ryan. And my name is Prisha. Today, we will be interviewing Ria Goel, best-selling author. And yeah, <laughs> can you tell us about your book? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, I wrote the Gen Z book um, kind of as a foreign project inspired by um, my social media scrolling. So basically, like everyone in the entire world, um, I was on social media all the time. And I saw a hashtag Gen Z and kind of like the term Gen Z being thrown around everywhere. And so from there, I really just didn't know what that meant and what um being a Gen Zer really um, meant for me. And so I started doing research, I started interviewing people, and then um, from there it spiraled into me writing a series of op-eds, but that turned into a longer, more drawn-out book project, and um, then that turned into the Gen Z book. So the, uh, the inspiration kind of for the book, and yeah, yeah, that's kind of like the story behind it. That sounds great. Um, I think you talk a little bit about Gen Z's role in society, um, but could you talk a little bit more about how Gen Z's role in society will impact the political and social climates of the country? That's a really great question, especially as we move into a world really fueled by social media. Um, I am Gen Zers are catalyst for change. We know how to activate and really um, come together online and use our resources to full avail. We saw that during the quarantine. We saw that with um, kind of the Biden campaign even um, in terms of politics. And we've seen that continuously with several candidates that have been um, running and kind of um, going into the political sphere. We're seeing more Gen Zers um, work for politics and make their ideas heard, which I think is very unseen from um, prior generations. A lot of people just didn't want to get involved, thought it was too much work. But we are here, again, catalyzing on all the resources that we have. And so I think that's a really um, special characteristic of Gen Z that is very unique to our generation. And um, we're very ready to collaborate um, among, you know, despite borders, despite um, race, color, ethnicity, whatever it might be, we kind of know hold hard, um, go forward to make our, our goals accomplished. Um, in your book, you talk a lot about this role and you also made a focus on why other generations should care about Gen Z. Can you elaborate for people who haven't read your book yet or have or want to read your book? Why should we care? For sure. I think the most obvious answer to that question is that Gen Z is the largest and most diverse generation to date. So just in terms of numbers and um, in terms of kind of um, just impact on society, Gen Z is here and here to stay. Um, even again, in terms of like economics and just theory, we are probably going to be the generation that lives the longest with advancements in medicine and really just are going to be here for a while. So just in terms of sheer numbers, um, we should definitely be focusing on Gen Z. Um, but beyond that, I think that Gen Z has a lot of resources and I, I say that a lot but it, it really does feel true we have the power of social media and have grown up in a digital age which is very different than any other generation um 
other generations are, you know, have just been introduced to the digital age or really didn't have a lot of exposure. But this brings us a lot of reach and capacity. Um, we really can talk to almost anyone at any point in time, can connect with anyone. And that proves even in this interview, you know, we would not have been able to um, connect had it not been for the power of social media. So I think that um, in terms of reach, in terms of capacity, Gen Z definitely has the advantage and is able to make quantifiable impact from kind of the, the get-go and can make a lot of a lot of things happen, um, can unlock a lot of possibilities from um, somewhat limited resources or just somewhat basic resources. Yeah, I totally see that. Um, you talked a little bit about how we have so many resources and social media right at our fingertips to really reach our goal. Um, and I was just wondering, do you think there's like any intrinsic motivation behind what we're doing, um, behind um, our activism and advocacy that wasn't there in the previous generations? Yeah, I think that there's a lot more um, self-fulfilling activism and um, we've definitely seen performative activism and activism trying to fit a narrative of an individual, which I think has become somewhat toxic and somewhat it's almost like people want to become an activist as a personality trait or something that they you know like kind of want to put on their resume which i do think is a bit different than other generations because um you went into activism either because you had um something to prove or you really truly did care about something and so um i think that that has changed a lot for our generation and the dynamic behind activism but um, kind of extending beyond that, I do think that there is a lot more capacity for change. There's a lot more um, people that can actually call things out. And there's a lot more accountability when it comes to um, really just anything that um, corporations and bigger um, uh, institutions are doing because we're able to kind of see the behind the scenes because of social media. We're able to investigate. We're able to understand what's really going on. So. In terms of that, the dynamic has definitely changed and we're able to call out more quicker um, and take action on that. But yeah, the de it's definitely very different than other generations and it, it can go either way. It can be very good, but also it, it can be a space that's, I think, be started to become very polluted. Yeah, we talked a bit about that whole idea of performative activism and a previous episode as well and like the sort of personifying of activism and organizing and since there is a lot of criticism around that sort of part of gen z to sort of like add um just voice what some potential pushback that your book or ideas may face a lot of people like you said say that gen z has a lot of potential but due to sort of this idea of performative activism and sort of desensitization with um, the Instagramification, I should say, of organizing, they say that even though Gen Z has a lot of potential, very, very often that potential doesn't turn into actual action. So what do you have to say to that pushback of like, sort of Gen Z is all bark and no bite. Yeah, there's, there's definitely an all talk, no game aspect to social media and um, denying that would would not make me in tune with reality, really. Um, but I think 
the the biggest um, kind of like counterclaim to that. Again, looking at reach because um, I think we're all, even as a society, able to educate ourselves a lot more than we ever could um, ten years ago. I think we're able to make connections that we could not even make five years ago, um, and I think that by doing so. We can start to make collaboration on a greater level. Of course, the Instagramification is a really good point, and a lot of times there isn't a lot of quantifiable impact, and that's、um, very apparent with social media activism. But I think、um, the larger idea is that awareness is being raised, and that leaders in their own respective communities can come together through the power of social media and collaborate、um, for bigger projects, collaborate with brands that have reach, and. Corporations that have reach and that can actually make again that quantifiable impact. So I think that、um, it's about the connections, it's about the people that you're able to see and meet and、um, learn from,、um, and really the the educational component behind it all. Thank you. And to sort of、uh, take it back a little bit, earlier you mentioned the diversity of Gen Z, and recently you did an interview with the Washington Post. Um, talking about you know the increase in education and representation, like you said, could you talk、uh, about your ideas in that article for us? Yeah, definitely.、Um, the The article was me and several other、um, folks from around the country, just kind of giving their thoughts on an increasingly diverse country and generation, and I think that that really is something that.、Um, We are constantly adapting to, and something that needs to be talked about more. Of course, diversity and inclusion has been an issue, and still is an issue、um, for a very long time. But I think that、um, we're starting to again take action and really、um, recognize where our society has failed, and、um, move forward in making it more inclusive, more aware, and. Um, more equitable, really, for、um, people of color, for marginalized communities,、um, women, and so I think that again, by raising that awareness and really having people understand, okay, like this is where my community, my upbringing, my perspective is lacking, and this is what I can do to make it better and more equitable. I think equity versus equality is an issue that we definitely need to stress more, and that's kind of like the key to unlocking a lot of.、Um, Uh, I think division within our society and kind of just hearing people out from other perspectives other than your own and not being close-minded in that sense. Yeah, that kind of like made me think of、um, something kind of interesting because、um, I know we talked a bit about performative activism and how Gen Z like emphasizes on calling out people, and I think it's really interesting to see how. Because we're calling out, and there's a side that says, "Oh, that's just performative activism. You're just like canceling people and、um, being really unnecessary on what you're calling out and canceling for."、Um, I think it's still important that that's happening in the first place because a lot of these if- issues wouldn't come to the surface if it wasn't for that.、Um, I think a lot of people are being heard.、Um, sorry about that. Uh, I think a lot of people are being heard、um, in the end, anyways. So I think、um, from that side of,、um, I guess, like that side of the hedge, you can just say that even though people are 
quote-unquote canceling. It's bringing a lot of issues to the surface. I think a lot of the cancel culture comes from the fact that um, we all think that we have a lot of, when we all are given a lot of voice um, within our own accounts and within our own spaces on social media. So sometimes the issue that someone is advocating about becomes about their attachment to the issue versus the actual issue. Um, And I think that's where a lot of, that's kind of like the stem of a lot of cancel culture and why other people have been canceled. Um, Moving beyond that, I think that cancel culture is extremely nuanced and something that is extremely hard to define. Um, Of course, there needs to be accountability, but there also needs to be growth. A lot of people that have been canceled are extremely young or like didn't really have the education behind why one of their you know actions were problematic so of course it's nuanced and i think we need to focus on accountability and learning from you know actions and kind of um the course of actions that people decide to take versus um you know inherently canceling them and never you know talking to them or looking at their content or whatever it might be to some effect some some influencers think that um being canceled is a good thing it gives them a lot of press um, and sometimes, like, if an influencer or someone gets canceled, their preceding videos, like their apology video, will have a lot more views than they've ever generated. So, again, very nuanced issue. Um, I don't really know um, if there's, like, a clear-cut answer at all, but um, definitely something that we, we need to define further as a society. Yeah, and speaking of defining, um, what we see a lot, but speaking of, like, cancel culture and how you know people claim that like oh the resources might not have been available to someone or even so there's when it comes to resources and educating yourself in general because there's sort of like an oversaturation or over abundant availability to resources you have a lot of different things different point of views different uh nuances if you will of certain issues where if you get an answer from a certain part of a community it'll be like oh yeah that's not problematic then you go to the other spectrum and it's like no that's problematic so you have this sort of state where yes gen z has access to a lot of resources but because there sort of is no um systemic approach the way that say the common core does everyone has different answers and everyone is has different beliefs where a lot of sort of friction is produced within organizing communities or within just awareness communities where because there's so many different answers real action or real change can't be made because there's so many different solutions and different point of views on what issues we should be addressing what issues should be like put on the back burner what matters and what doesn't matter so because of that how what solution would you suggest happening where you said maybe we need a a more better definition of canceled culture how would you go about sort of defining all of these new terms and and creating a more uniform movement among our generation Yeah, I think, and this is going to sound maybe a little too harsh, but sometimes I think we need to take a step back individually 
and make it not about ourselves. I think that, again, with social media, we are given a lot of autonomy. We are given a lot of, um, you know, ability to say whatever we want, whenever we want. That's kind of the basis of social media. So sometimes we need to, I think, reflect on what we're going to say, how that's going to impact another person, um, and not be so quick to, you know, hit the post or um, send button. I think that there needs to be a lot more thought put into really the conversation being had on both ends. Um, so that's just a preface to the entire situation. But in terms of moving forward and really approaching cancel culture and um, uh, learning from it, I think that there there needs to be a period where it's not um, all about, oh my God, she's canceled or he's canceled. Oh my God, they did this, they did that. Of course, com- accountability needs to be taken. But I think that cancel culture can be approached in a way where like, okay, this is problematic and this is why I, you know, whatever entity should be canceled. Um, but this is what they can do in order to make up for it or to rectify their wrongs. Or, you know, I think there needs to be a solution component to um, kind of the conversation being had and placing that at forefront versus just, you know, the hate behind cancel culture, again, from both sides. So I think if we can approach it where there's there's some sort of solution um, and that that is part of the the whole apology of whatever is being whoever is being canceled. I think that that is a great way to kind of move forward and actually again make make change um, versus just have a conversation. Yeah, I think you bring up a really interesting point. I think you both do about like how it's hard to approach um, many things on social media because you can't even. Um, place a correct definition or have a system set up where everyone can like mutually agree on a definition um and this kind of like goes to my question of why is it so difficult for people to conceptualize um certain ideas on social media for example like a lot of i've getting i've been like getting a lot of tiktoks on like the male gaze lately and a lot of people on social media have kind of twisted the meaning around so much that now they are defining a thing as the female gaze which in reality doesn't really exist as the male gaze is supposed to be an oppressive structure right but people have redefined what it means so that now everyone else thinks that it means the same thing so how do you think the same thing with um cancel culture and like how it's been um, kind of defined in a different way, how they both contribute to um, how Gen Z and millennials treat social media and social um, justice issues. I think, again, it's incredibly nuanced. I'm not exactly sure if I have, like, the solution or um, amazing thoughts on it, but I think that the conversation just needs to be had where again like people should not have to feel the need to respond to everything um not having the proper like education or knowledge behind it like that that example that you brought up about the male versus female gaze um yeah that that's incredibly again just like unaware really of um society and situations and social constructs because um the female gaze to your point again is not really thing um but the male gaze is very inherently like rooted in the patriarchy and that's something that we should it's just fact it's not even opinion really um 
so in that sense again i think there there just needs to be more like educated full thought out conversation versus um you know just like people's opinions i think opinion versus fact is something that we really need to just like emphasize a lot mm-hmm. when we're having this kind of um conversation on social media um so yeah i think that that's where the solutions start coming into play i think that's where we start um moving forward because right now it's very you know almost petty and i i hate to use that word but i think that's what it is because it's very just you know responding and you know really not putting thought into the the conversation being made and then um like you were saying things are blown out of proportion and um there really just isn't good like discourse and it doesn't have to be to an academic level it's just um you know, like good informed discourse um, on a particular topic of conversation or thought with everybody um so i think that that's kind of where we need to to like draw the line and and really also hold people in the conversation accountable like you should not you you should almost you know be canceled within the conversation if you're not coming to the conversation value i feel like you know in that sense so i think again incredibly nuanced of a situation not something i think we can totally pinpointing the answer on but uh, i think when if we start to just like hear things out and see things from like a bird's eye view perspective versus our own and again start to just have a little more education involved on both ends of the conversation i think we'll we'll start to see each other um a little in in a better light i would say Yeah, and speaking of, of what Krisha uh, sort of brought up, and you as well, there's been this, like, new term going around called, like, a critically online take, where it's, like, this idea that the conversations online are so warped and so sort of detached, and it's more about having the the hottest take at the fastest speed and the hot and the fastest response rather than having... An informed and aware response and it sort of creates this con- these conversations and spaces where like everything being said is almost like sort of detached to reality hence critically online take and when you have a bunch of critically online takes that are being repeated and being almost like presented as informed that sort of blurs the lines between like real informed opinions and and like just facts honestly versus um critically online takes like we see what happened with the millennial age feminist movement i'm saying millennial age like it happened like 50 years ago but you know a couple years ago you had this huge feminist movement among millennials where I don't want to use critically online take because I don't I feel like their movement was less online than current movements of today but where you had like these sort of quote-unquote feminist views that warped feminism in such a way where their whole not whole but a lot of their movement was sort of crippled by it because of all of these um sort of out of touch takes and misinformed opinions and then you have people who oppose movements such as I don't, like conservatives and just misogynists who 
take these critically online tastes and be like, see, they're out of touch. They don't know what they're talking about. So my question to you is, assuming that we aren't able to sort of make this feat where we get to a place where meaningful conversation is the prevalent form of conversation online. And I think that is possible, but assuming it isn't, how do we move forward and how do we avoid a state where the conversation is being sort of overtaken and derailed by all of these just misinformed point of views? Yeah, I think you pose a really good point um, because I think in terms of like millennial feminism, we've seen a very like girl boss feminism, you know, um, and that's that's kind of um, moving from the very like white feminism that started the feminist movement, um, and it, it wasn't intersectional, inclusive, or aware in, in any early sense, um, and it, it was very, I think, um, in parallel with like tokenism feminism, um, and of course we can like throw around all of these terms, and it, it's to some extent it's almost hard to know what each of them means because um you know they, they all lend itself to like just problems within the feminist space and really just theory and discourse in general um but i think when it when it comes to like moving forward in terms of like the gen z um feminism or really just any issue intersectionality is truly key um and for anyone who doesn't know intersectionality it's basically looking at an umbrella issue like feminism or racism, whatever it might be, and looking at all of the intersections of that. So for feminism, it could be, you know, being a POC and a woman or, um, you know, um, not in living in a marginalized community and feminism. And so all of those things are very specific and need to be approached in an equitable manner. Um, so I think that that's kind of where the Gen Z feminism changes a little bit. We're starting to realize the intersections individually and collectively behind these broader issues and kind of relate them back and call out the social constructs that have created these these divisions. And so um, I think we're starting to see it as like a, a more collective societal issue um, versus just the the run of the mill um oh like this is a problem let's start some random organization to mm. to you know fix it or you know here's some funds let's try to distribute them uh when when we do look at economics and we do look at like just just money and how that should be reinvested into communities i think that again with gen z uh feminism with gen z really activism we are more aware that okay this these funds are minimal because that's it's always minimal when it comes to um providing for a community and we need to make sure that there's long-term implementation behind everything that we do so that it's sustainable change and not just one-time change which is very uh, i think important to just change in general and i hope uh, that that's kind of the focus for for gen z currently so i think that that's kind of the the, the switch the change between like feminism and really just activism 10 years ago versus now. Um, and that's, I think, what we're we're trying to evolve to, to some extent. Of course, it, it can be colluded with social media, um, you know, during the quarantine to, you know, my counterpoint, I guess, um, there were a lot of just like token um, organizations started by high schoolers or college students who just wanted something to do and put on their resume. And so um, 
to how much change those organizations created, I'm not exactly sure. I don't think that they made a lot of change. Maybe there's awareness being raised, but I don't think that there was actual um, impact. So I think we, again, just need to reevaluate and kind of start collaborating versus making more, uh, taking a more individualistic approach. Because again, like a lot of people during quarantine, they were just like, oh, I have to do something. And that that's a problem when it comes to the I versus the we, because when someone is looking to benefit off of the the almost like suffering and pain of others, there really is no no impact being made. There's no collaboration in terms of good, sustainable change and solutions. And so those are tough conversations to be had. Not everyone wants to have them, but I think they they need to be kind of addressed before we, we move forward. And that's kind of like the change between the feminism then and now. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think just to wrap um, this whole thing up, I have one last question. You talked a little bit about how collaboration is really important in these spaces and how we should not only just focus on individual efforts by creating like a nonprofit, but actually looking about um, looking towards how we can collectively um, make an impact and make meaningful impact rather than, you know, as you say, stated in those examples, just do it for college apps or raising awareness, right? Um, how do you propose, or maybe you can talk about how you did that in your own way? Yeah, I think that, um, of course, we, we see in like the rise of corporate activism too. And I think that, um, you know, grassroots organizers and activists. Um, I don't even particularly like the term activist anymore. I would just consider myself an advocate because I think that the the term activist has been very tokenized and almost used to the point of like not of the the term not meaning what it it was supposed to mean, um, if that makes sense. But um, yeah, kind of moving moving forward, I think that a lot of corporate. Um, or we've seen a lot of corporations just have um, these these like range of influencers or activists that they they put as their forefront. Um, that started to become a little problematic as we we move forward because again there really isn't a lot of tracking or we can't really tell what change is being made. It's it's a cute like PR stunt. It's a cute um, thing that we we see on social media, but um, we're we still lack. Um, the understanding of what's what's actually being done. Um, so, kind of to your question, um, in terms of what I've done, um, I I think that um, you know I've done the both. I've done both. I've done local, you know, grassroots community organizing and activism and working within my community extensively. Um, and I think that that's very important to any individual that wants to call themselves an activist, if any, um, because without knowing your own community, I don't truly think you know what you can advocate for and what um, you can be the best advocate for, because not everyone can advocate for everything that would not, um, that just would not work. Um, But kind of beyond that, I think that we need to focus on kind of the communities that we know best versus trying to, you know, almost climb up this corporate activism ladder to get, you know, a brand sponsorship from Nike, Adidas, or, you know, like any major company. Because I think that for a lot of people, they're like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, an initiative that this brand is taking or this um, company is taking. I would love to be a part of that. And I I would be wrong to say I wouldn't think of that because that's something that I do. Um, But my point is, you know, in here, I think we need to just focus on 
the communities that we know best, that we know how to implement change in best because we've grown up there or know the people there and really invest in community leaders that have been working with these communities for ages. You know, I think that's where real work happens and real change is being made. You know, of course, it's really nice to have um, brands pay and um, send product and try to make narratives for their their brands. And it's really a great thing in, in the long-term sense. But I think that sometimes activists are kind of removed from their larger purpose when they do sign up for these things. So I think it's just about being aware, again, educated and knowing where your personal lines are and boundaries. Um, a little, that was, you know, a little off topic in terms of your question, but I think that for me personally, it's always been about placing my community first and placing mm-hmm. the issues that I know well best and that I can best advocate for um, and that have impacted me and make me a, 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 an appropriate advocate versus, you know, just me talking about something that particularly has not affected me or something that, you know, would not be as impactful had I, acted, uh, uh, um, you know, kind of worked with it. So. Thank you so much for sharing with us, you know, your experience of, you know, in your local communities. And we encourage our watchers to, one, check out your book and also, like you said, see what they can do on the local level in their communities. Um, power to you, Gen Z, as Rhea puts it. Um, I think that's all for today. Thank you so much for joining us on our show. Um, if you could share one last time any like social outputs or website you may have for our readers to check out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my Instagram handle is ria.boyle underscore R-I-Y-A dot G-O-E-L underscore. Um, and from there, you can see all of my work in the link in my bio, um, a little personal website, um, the link to my book titled The Gen Z Book, uh, which is available on all major platforms wherever you buy books, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Um, so that is, that's kind of me. Yeah. Thank you. We'll be sure to check that out as well. Um, so yes, and our Instagram is at Parade underscore. You can listen to us on any platform. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out. Um, and thank you for listening.